This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of Tendy Talk, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the BLPA Podcast Networks. I'm your host Joe, better known as Washed Up Goalie on social media. This week I chat with Trevor Gorsuch, current goalie for the Evansville Thunderbolts in the SPHL. Trevor and I talk about a bunch of stuff on this episode, starting off with our dark and oftentimes ill-timed humor to his time playing hockey at Western Michigan and his travels in minor league hockey. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation with Trevor. Hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Uh, good to have you on. It's we were just talking because we're starting a little early and, you know, our propensity for always uh, being early because of our upbringing. Uh, oh, yeah. Upbringing or coaching or all the above. Yeah, I uh, still to this day, I, I have that uh, irrational anxiety if I think I might be running late. It's like, no, that this, this isn't good. If so, somebody says I need to be somewhere, I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, it drives yeah. my girlfriend crazy. Uh, there, there's times I'll be ready half an hour before I got to be somewhere, and she's finishing up getting ready, and she knows we have, and we're still going to be half an hour before we're going to be early, if that yeah. makes sense. And yep. so, and I'm sitting there already done, dressed and ready, and I'm like, "Come on, hey, let's go." And she's like, "We are early. We are so early." I'm like, "No, nah, no, nah, we're late. We're running late." And then we're still there like <laughs> ten minutes before anybody else shows up. Yeah, well, I'm that barely goalie who still shows up to the rink an hour before the game just because, <laughs> you know. It, Love that. I, I remember during uh, COVID here in Minnesota, you couldn't go into the locker room until 15 minutes before your ice time. But yeah. at, the snoop, at the super rink where I skate, you know, the league head of the league kind of understood that was more for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I showed up to the game. I was trying to follow the rules but i i need at least 20 minutes to get ready yeah um and so i showed up early and the kid at the uh stand not wearing their mask when they were still required but telling me i can't go into a locker room and sit there by myself and so i I just kind of sent a note to the uh guys like you know i get it but at least the kid enforcing it can you make sure they're at least wearing the mask because then it 
feels like you mean it. And he goes, mm-hmm. and he responded back. He goes, I've told them it doesn't matter with the beer league goalies. Cause even without COVID, you guys are sitting in the locker room all by yourself until 15 minutes before the game. Anyway, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, he goes, there's no issues with you guys. And they're all by yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah beer well, leaguers don't show up until 15 minutes anyway. So the goalies well, are the only ones that need to be there early. We got a father, son, and a nephew on our team, and they dr- drive together, and they mm-hmm. always get there as the Zamboni's getting on the ice. So it's kind of funny. You're sitting there like, um, we, we have just over one line. Like, it's going to be a tough night. And then they come walking, and it's like, all right, we got two, we got two full lines. We're good. Yeah, always. Always got to make you sweat. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I, I like some of the uh, Instagram stories I've been – going around with college teams or it's like, what time do our players show up for things? It's oh like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the guys like us showing up 20 minutes early and then there's that person that's always like walking in the door as it's clocks mm-hmm. changing. We oh, did, uh, we did that one. We did one of those here in Evansville and I wasn't even on the video. I wasn't <laughs> even on the video. And I, I jokingly, because they were like, oh, first group, like they literally, the, the post was like something like first group at 4.15 or 4.20. And I was like commented, first person, Trevor Gorsuch at four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, wait, really? And I was like, yeah, I got here. And then so like we did it, they started like getting there to take pictures as we're coming down the walk. And there I am like 3.50 something or four o'clock. And they're like, we didn't know you got here this early. And I was like, yeah, I just do. Yeah, it's, it's what I do. Well, it's what, my son and I were flying out to North Carolina Friday for the stadium series. I've, I've oh, been packed, that'll be fun. I've been packed for like a week. Just oh, like, yeah. you know, we, we got to be to the airport. Our flight's at 4.55. We got to leave the house at 3. And if we're getting blue food, we got to leave by 2. It's, yeah, yep. yeah. It's just got to be. And and, I'm, I'm going to bet he's not even touched a bag. No, I, I packed for him because last time we let him, he's 14, <laughs> but we let every now and then they'll go up to the cabin with my in-laws and mm-hmm. they went right after Christmas. And when I picked him up, my father-in-law goes, whenever he goes anywhere, somebody needs to check his bag. He went up to Northern Minnesota in December oh, with not, he didn't even bring a pair of pants. He just brought pajama pants. One pair for a week, uh, like no underwear. And it was like, Jesus Christ, you're 14 years old and you get straight A's. What is wrong with you, kid? So you it's know, like, I, I, I've yeah. got friends that are just so smart in book smart. And then you get them into the real world and it's like you're talking to a wall. Some of the smartest people are at the same time the dumbest people. Yep. You know, my sister's that way. Super smart, book smart. Great at what she does. Never got to be in her life. Um, but her street smart sometimes is like, what is wrong with you? Uh, I, I've told the story before. We're literally at my mom's deathbed. And I'm trying okay. to um, lighten the mood a little bit because that's how my family is. We, we tell jokes yeah. in those situations. And one of my favorite kid jokes is uh, how many apples grow on a tree? The answer sure. is all of them. Well, I asked my sister this, and without even thinking, immediately she goes, apples don't grow on trees. And then she goes, oh, wait a minute. This didn't go well for me. <laughs> and- well, to not, make it, to not make you feel alone in telling, like, a, a, a heartfelt story of something that, you know, unfortunately did happen. And But my, my yeah. dad, a few years ago, 
or not a few. This was back when I was in high school, and uh, I, I was still not old enough to drive. It was my freshman year, so I was like four, 14, 15. And my dad was having some heart issues. So my dad's going in very serious. My dad was a former pro tennis player. So same thing, big athlete, heart, and this, that, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's going in, he's having some heart issues. So he's going in. And it's very serious. And it's a very somber car ride. My mom's driving. My dad's in the front seat. I'm in the back seat because she's driving to drop him at the test, drop me off at school, and then go back to the hospital. As we're getting out of the car, as my dad's getting out of the car to drop him off first. My mom's like, I love you, and giving them all the I love yous. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be fine. This, that, whatever. I was like, hey, dad, I love you too. But my dad's like my best friend. And I look at yeah. him and I go, hey, dad, I love you too, but I got to ask. And he goes, yeah. And I go, anything goes wrong, who gets mutual? Because my dad has an authentic Stan Musial 1946, I believe, or 50. It's one of it's like an authentic old, like the old, old wool. The zip-up Cardinals jersey signed yeah. by Stan Musial, and I go, "Who gets Stan?" And my dad starts dying laughing. <laughs> my dad is cackling, almost falling to the ground, and my mom's hitting me. That's not funny, Trevor. You can't joke about that. And so to this day, like I sit there and I'm like, "Hey, I, I, I'm still in line to get Stan, right?" Like, yeah. My, Emily, Emily, my older sister, she doesn't need Stan. I need Stan. I'm the baseball guy. My, my, yeah. my, I'm the baseball fan. My, my, my sister likes it if she goes to the games. Like, I'll, I love Stan. Come on. Yeah. So, no, I completely get it. And that's just how my family is, too. We'll tell jokes in the most improper time, but it's just how we work. You talk about jokes at the most improper time. My dad was a Chicago fireman for close Ooh. to 30 years. And the one day my mom calls the firehouse, and, of course – firehouse whenever we would call his cook at the time larry he would usually uh answer the phone and this was not knowing who was calling because it was a pay phone that was <laughs> he would answer the phone joe's bar and grill because my dad was joe the the officer in the house yeah and my dad was like larry you can't do that someday somebody's gonna call and they're gonna it's not gonna go well well my mom calls and larry would you know my mom would be like yeah can i talk to joe and he's like nah he's you know this or that and so the one day she calls and she goes, can we talk to Joe? And Larry didn't answer the phone saying Joe's bar and grill this particular day, which should have been the tip off. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, he's at the hospital. He had a heart attack. And she goes, oh, f- funny, Larry, put him on the phone. And he goes, he hasn't called you? Because this is before cell phones. Goes, yeah, this is well has- before cell phones. He-, he hasn't called you yet? And she's like, no. So then... Larry goes, okay, let me make a few phone calls. And he called and had like the chief in our district come pick my mom up and take her to the hospital. Oh. Um, turns out he didn't have a heart attack. Uh, he, he was having a uh, uh, stress-induced panic attack because he was studying for a uh, the captain's exam. And he just oh, kind of, God. but he thought he was having a heart attack. Yeah, well. well. Then my grandma, you know, we called her and say hey dad's in the hospital this is where he's at you can come on up well the fire department chaplain father Malcrone, has some of the best dirty joke out there as my grandma who god rest her soul she was one of these catholics that would go to church twice a week she would go oh, on no. saturday instead of sunday oh no, oh, no. To so she's the hardcore the sun- yeah she would go on saturday to beat the sunday crowd oh, it, no. you know always yeah. had a rosary with her. Well, she comes walking in the room and 
Father Mulcrone is leaning over my dad, talking to him. She thinks he's she reading. Thinks performing the last rites. Last rites. No, oh and no! So she comes in. And she starts sobbing, and my dad's going, "Ma, what, what's wrong?" And she goes, oh, "He's giving you the last rites. I'm just, I'm, I don't know what to do." And my dad goes, "Ma, I'm fine. He was telling me a dirty joke." And at that, my grandma now turns to Father Mulcrone and starts hitting him like, what county priest are you? You need to go to confession. <laughs> it was just one of those. That's bad. Yeah, we will that's, always. That's poor timing. I don't know. Me and Dad and Father well, Mulcrone timing. think it's perfect timing with, her, with my grandma. Yeah, I mean, it was. And to this day, she's, well, I shouldn't say to this day, she's, we lost her a couple of years ago, but she did not find it funny at all. Oh, Even years oh, no. later, she was like, no, my mom, my mom still doesn't find the Stan Musial thing funny. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I made a joke to my dad a couple of years ago. Cause my dad turned, when my dad turned 60, I said something about, yeah, you're teeing off on the back nine there, bud. And yeah. my mom and my sister did not find that funny, but that's just my dad and I sense of humor, you know, like, we're very close and we talk and my dad will tell me like, Hey, don't tell your mom this or like, Hey, I'm going to the doctor to see something, but don't. And, but yeah, my mom and sister don't find those jokes too funny. Did, did you ever watch the TV show rescue me with Dennis Leary? Maybe. Uh, I'm trying to think if I would have rescued. He's an FDNY firefighter. It's, it's a pretty, could show uh, i like to say oh i think the, i've seen bits and pieces of it i don't know all, if i ever really watched it in in full all the firehouse stuff is 100 accurate dennis leary outside of the firehouse and being able to have all of those good looking women is not accurate uh, <laughs> but well the, the in the first season they go to um sensitivity training that is yeah. one of the greatest episodes, funniest thing, and completely accurate. And now I'm going off track even more. But my dad had a very similar sensitivity training. And they're sitting there. And the woman comes walking in. She goes, I know you, fireman type. And my dad goes, oh, yeah? What What do you mean by that? And she goes, all you guys do is sit around the firehouse all day in your underwear watching TV. And he slams his hand on the desk. And he goes, God Damn it. Why didn't anybody tell me I was supposed to be wearing my underwear? Um, he was kicked out of sensitivity training within five minutes. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. But in, in the final episode, uh, I, I'm going to try and say this in a way that doesn't give it away. But uh, in the final episode, there's five of them in a pickup truck uh, with somebody's ashes. Oh. And the dumbest guy on the crew just goes, I want to look in the box. And I'll know. Well, as they're driving, two guys are chewing gum. Dennis Leary's had enough. He tells them, spit out your gum. They both roll down their windows at the same time. Well, one guy's in the front passenger seat. The other guy's in the back seat behind the driver. Right as they roll down their windows, the guy in the middle opens up the box of the ashes. It creates a vortex. <laughs> they're all covered in the ashes. It's just like, if you're going to watch two episodes of Rescue Me, you got to watch sensitivity training in the last episode for this particular part well oh my god dad never liked this show but when mom passed away i call home call my wife um and she go, and 
mom and dad live out in North Carolina on a coastal island. I'm from Minnesota. So I was out there and called my wife and she's like, well, are you guys going to have a funeral or cremate and whatnot? I go, well, we're going to cremate her. And my wife, without thinking or skipping a beach, goes, well, you guys aren't. You're going to let the professionals do it, right? <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you. And then she goes, don't have a rescue me moment. So I was waiting for the right moment. I had it all teed up on Amazon and everything else, just waiting for my dad. He comes in the house the one morning. He's, he's having a rough morning. I go, dad, I need you to watch something. And I show him this scene. And like, it's a 10 minute scene as they go through all this yeah. stuff. He had tears in his eyes. And he's like, thank you. I needed that. And then he's sitting there and I just see him thinking, I go, what's wrong? He goes, I would love to play that at your mom's memorial, but I know it would be considered wrong, <laughs> but she would find it funny. <laughs> so it, I was like, you're right, but no, we're not playing it at the memorial. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. We can play it for the, for the family, but we'll not right. play it for your Oh yeah. Well, I mean, else. trust me, I had it queued up on my phone and had to show it to a few people at the memorial. Oh, that's fine. But, but we go to pick her up, you know, in, in the urn mm -hmm. and everything. And me and my dad and my sister, and before we get in the car, my dad looks at the bolt of his nose. Nobody's chewing gum on this ride. <laughs> so, you know, even though nobody's just, chewing gum and nobody's opening the windows. Yeah. So even though it's just the three of us, I sit in the back seat right in the middle where this guy who, had, you know, and I'm holding the urn and I go, I want to look inside. And my dad just starts laughing. But it's like, th that's what gets you through through those exactly. situations. Yep. Um, you know, anyway, so we took quite the tangent to start this episode but nah. hey that, that's what goalies do um but you're from st louis and as you said your dad yep. was a tennis player um st louis yes now people look at st louis and are like hockey town uh, but when we were growing up it had hockey but it wasn't this hockey hotbed that it's turning into no. what drew what drew you to the game of hockey um well, when I was, I was, I'm a July boy, I'm a July baby. So I grew up and I was going to Cardinal games. I was going to blues games. My parents yep. were, were season ticket holders since I was a kid. And it was really around the time that we stopped being season ticket holders. Once I started playing a lot of travel hockey and everything, but for the most of my childhood, I mean, I was going to blues games practically short after I was born. Um, my mom so, joked, she was like, I was the only baby to ever sleep. She's the only baby she'd ever seen sleep through a blues playoff game. And then that uh, would have like, been at that old barn of theirs, too. No, I missed the old barn. Oh, you I, did? And, I, okay. my, and my sister never lets me forget it because I'm a 94 <laughs> birth year. She never lets me forget it. She goes, oh, yeah, do you remember going to see games at the old arena? Oh, that's right. And I'm like, thanks, Emily. I appreciate yeah. it. No, uh, but again, that's how we are. Uh, so yeah, but I would go, I was going to playoff games since then. And, and this shows you just how perfect I am for being a goalie and being in the sense of just scatterbrained. When I was a kid and doing my skating lessons, I wanted to be a coach, not a player. I didn't want to play. I wanted to coach. And then my dad's like, well, you know, well, I don't know what the, uh, per like language area is on this, but, uh, my dad's like, Hey, dummy. Um, most coaches are players first. They, they learn the game better from playing. And I was like, oh. So then I started to play, and I, I loved it. You know, I loved it ever since I started to play and skate and everything like that. I had so much fun with it. And, yeah, so, like, growing up, I was my, – my life was sports. I was hockey, hockey in the winter, baseball in the summer, and just 
nonstop. And then there was always the crossover. Why so, did you want to be a coach though? I don't know. I just, <laughs> I thought it was fun to stand on the bench and yell at people and tell them what to do. And I, I can't honestly tell you, I don't even remember these memories. My parents were like, yeah, you're the dumbass. I wanted to be a coach, not even a player. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah. Apparently I had a little whiteboard on like a notebook, like a little, like a little, uh, hockey book that had like a little whiteboard kind of thing on the back of it and i would be sitting there drawing up plays and things as a kid i'm like i don't remember this at all no clue of this um so yeah if that doesn't show you just perfectly mindset wise everybody's like "Mm, just shove him shove him in the net by himself leave him over there and so you're playing hockey you're playing baseball never tennis though dad dad never was like you sure you don't want to try no So it's only been recently that my dad has gotten back into the love of tennis. So uh, my dad had a long time love, love, hate relationship with tennis. My dad was very good at tennis. So obviously mm-hmm. he had to be to play pro. And uh, my dad went to Mizzou for one year and was a Mizzou All-American and Big Eight. But when, before they were the Big Ten and everything like that, he was and, and won a national championship, NCAA and national championship with him and turned pro. Uh, but he never truly had the love and the passion for tennis. His love and passion was baseball, but his uncle, Chuck McKinley actually won Wimbledon like way, way ago, a long time. So he knew my dad knew he was going to have a pro career in tennis, but he never knew if he'd make it out of the minors in baseball. So Mm -hmm. he took the career that he knew he'd be pro in. And so when it came time for me, he was like, Hey, you need to choose the one that you love, not necessarily the one you're maybe better at. Right. And yep. he was like, that's just, that's just how it has to be. And, um, you know, and when it got to be that time, like 17 ish. And I was like, you know, I just love everything about hockey. I, I, I don't love everything about baseball. And, and that's not to say I wasn't a good ball player. It was, um, but I just didn't love every aspect of it. And, and when it came to tennis, uh, I think we had one day, my dad tried to teach me tennis. We went we were out and we were on a vacation somewhere and we, there was a tennis courts and he was teaching my sister tennis because my sister wanted to play. And I go out there and my dad lobs one over the net at me. And I sat there and with a two hand left handed swing, I just absolutely cracked it and sent it flying over the back fence. And my dad goes, um, see the white square on the ground here. You're supposed to hit it in there. And I go, no, I like watching it fly over the fence. <laughs> You're baseball. And like from that point, we never we never looked at tennis again. So it was just hockey and baseball. When we were uh, members at Lifetime Fitness, they had pickleball courts. So me and my son, we'd play some pickleball. And I do like pickleball. I'm the kind of parent like I don't just let my kids win because that's fun for them. I'm like, no, mm. I, it's, it's going to be fun when you finally beat Dad. So exactly. we're playing, and he's thinking I'm going to just put these, you know, shots in easy for him. Well, no, I, I get him on this corner, and then the next shot I put on the other corner, so he's got to run across, and I'm yep. just racking up points this way. He's like, that's not fair. You can't do that. It's like, there's not a rule against him. In fact, it's called good strategy. And the one time he did it to me, but I was able to get across and get it back to him, he was upset. And I looked at him and was like, you can't do that. That's not fair. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, my wife, uh, I met her in college, and her brother came to visit her the one day when she was a freshman then we had the rec center and they're out there playing tennis kind of goofing around and there's four courts and a track around it and Mm -hmm. and uh so 
the day they're playing on one of the courts, they had a volleyball net set up and then they're on the one next to it with the tennis court set up. And usually they yeah. had um, a little screen divider. They would have a screen and that was down, but they didn't have them down on the back end. So you could just walk in and out. Well, mm-hmm. there was a group of international students playing volleyball and their ball kept bouncing off the wall and coming into the tennis court and or going along the track. Well, as my wife tells the story, she's serving and just hits it right as one of the international students starts to go after their volleyball on the track and just pegs them right in the head. She's like, it was the worst serve of my life, but the best serve of my life because it just got, got this poor guy on the track knocks him down and she goes and the worst part was he hops right back up waves and kind of laughs he goes i'm all right <laughs> like just went and got his volleyball she goes but the volleyball didn't come over that way the rest of the time we played yeah um, shocker so through all of this at what point you're like hey i want to be a coach but apparently to be a coach i got to be a player first yep. what brought you between the pipes uh you know, like when I was playing Mini Might, is it still called Mini Might nowadays? I, I, think so. I don't. I don't know if it is. I don't. When I when I played, it was Mini Might. So like, you know, four or five, and I was always big for my age. So I was I was playing up, and I mean, I started skating when I was two, and started playing Mini Might when I was like three and a half, turning four, that age kind of. Yeah. And yep. uh, I think I wasn't supposed to start until I was five. But, you know, you take turns playing goalie and whatever. And I, I always found that was so much fun. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of fun being back here. And I just, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, but what really got me was I went to a camp up in Minnesota called Heartland Hockey Camp. And I cannot, yes. for the life of me, think of the guy's name that runs it. He's a great guy. I cannot think of his name. It's but, funny you mentioned that because I had uh, a stand-up comedian, Tyler Ross, on couple episodes ago and mm-hmm. you went to heartland as well oh that place was a dream i mean you yeah. go out and you'd have like you'd work your you'd work your bag off for a couple hours and then you just oh let's go to the lake let's play mini golf let's do it and you were just up there and one of the years we were going up there quick tangent before that so my dad and i are driving from st yep. louis to this camp up in minnesota and my dad this is back in the old days of the map and the map quest and the atlas and we pulled off onto the side of the road and we're He's twisting the map around. I'm sitting in the back. And all of a sudden, I look out the window, and my dad is just oblivious. And I go, uh, Dad, do you think we can just move it along here? And he goes, just a, just a second, Trev. Like, I'm looking. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the F we are. And I go, uh, I think we need to just go up the road a little bit here. And he goes, why? And he looks out the window, and there is a big old grizzly bear about 40 yards away from our car, just standing up on all fours, just looking at us, just (laughs) looking at us. And he goes, yep. And he drops it into drive and we pulled up about 20 minutes up the road. And then we stopped over again and we were like, oh, yep, yep. But yeah, he's arguing with me. I'm like, I think we need to go. So Um, Heartland is not far from my in-laws cabin. I know right where it is. Um, Okay. And yeah, that's black bear country up there. The one day my... Uh, brother-in-law mm-hmm. and his wife were up there with their dogs and uh he got the cabin here and it's like 100 yards to the lake in the dock here and so yep. they're down at the lake they got three three dogs down there you know two of them are rottweiler or pit bulls and then you got the golden doodle and yep. 
between them and the house is a big old black bear just walking. Dogs are barking, and this bear is just like, eh. Unfazed. <laughs> yeah, unfazed. Unfazed. Yeah. yeah. So when I get to Heartland, though, the, I think it was my – I was six because it was the summer I was six. I just turned six. So going into that year, Curtis Joseph was one of the guest instructors. Okay. And we went up and we introduced ourselves, and I told him how I, I loved watching him and, that you know, this, that, whatever, and I'm really interested in wanting to be a goalie more. And he said, well, the best piece of advice I can give you is play the next season half and half. Play half the season as a goalie, half the season as a player. Still love it. Play the next full season as a goalie. And then you love it, you stick with it. You don't ever go back. You hate it, you're a year removed, but you haven't lost any um, any of the growth and any of the skill in that one year. You haven't, you haven't you're not going to fall behind. And I was like, oh, okay. So I played this that the half and half year, and then the next year I played the whole full year as a goalie, and I never looked back. And that was some of the best advice I got. And I've, you know, since seven years old, I've played goalie, and now I'm going to be turning 29 this July. So for 22, almost 22 years, I've been a goalie, and it's I've never, never regret the decision. And and that's great advice too, because my first year I was a squirt, and I played half and half, and. It was great because it, it gave you that taste of whether you loved it or not. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, I played it full time because I was like, "No, I don't want to skate out anymore. I yeah, I don't, I don't like it." <laughs> and the way the way I look at the the half and half is honestly is like I tell people this too is like you know when you're going to make a decision, you're you're like, "Oh, I'm torn," but you you're obviously favoring one way or another. You give somebody like like I really like this one or there's this one. But you're like, I yeah. really like this one, but I don't know which one to go to. And you're like, oh, we'll flip a coin. And then as they go to flip a coin, I go, which which side do you want? So if they sit there like, oh, well, this one, I, the one I, I I like is heads, and this side's going to be tails. When you go to flip a coin nine times out of ten, your head already tells you, oh, God, I hope it's tails. Or, oh, God, yeah. I hope it's heads. Yep. So that's how I looked at it is that half and half season when I look back at it is every time I would start, I was like not playing player, I was like, or every time I was playing player, I was like, I kind of wish I was goalie today. And I was like, every time it just kept getting more and more. I was like, I really don't want to keep going up and down the ice. I'd rather just go side to side and up and down. And, you know, that sounds a lot easier and more fun to me than, than up and back and up and back. Yeah. So it was one of those, like, you already, I already knew my decision, but I just needed that little push, that reassurance. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I remember when I made the decision, it was funny because, squirts you know we're not running complex systems at this point it's no. very much like this is your right wing you need to stay on in this general area and yep. for me i was like why are my teammates so stupid it's simple like yep. just stay where you're supposed to be and I, I i almost felt like i was too smart for him um whereas goalie is there i i got to watch everything unfold in front of me and exactly try and stop it it was just so much fun but you know so you're this young goalie in St. Louis in the nineties and I'm from Chicago. So, you know, I, I look at the goalies that have come out of Chicago in that time. There's not many, but no. St. Louis, a smaller hockey market uh, in terms of the number of players at the time, you guys have had a number of really good goalies come out yeah. of St. Louis. Like what was going on at that time? I know when I've talked to uh, 
KVG, you know, he credits yeah. Bruce Racine. I, I, um, I, Bruce was my first goalie coach, the real goalie coach. I had gone mm-hmm. to goalie clinics and everything, and I love I love KVG. He's one of my favorite people, especially in the hockey world. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Bruce was my first goalie coach, and, and Bruce really took me from a raw just I drop and dive and flop. Like, I, I've always had the athleticism. And I've always had the battle and the compete, but at the, uh, getting to the next level was I needed style. You know, I needed a style. I needed to learn how to, okay, butterfly and a little bit of technique. There was no technique for me. It was <laughs> butterfly and whatever it took to make the save. It was pure yeah. Dominic Hoshik. And Same. Bruce very much taught me technique and, and calmness in the net that allowed me to get better and continue to get better and gave me the building blocks I needed at the time I needed it to continue to grow. And, and I still build on those building blocks every day, you know, and, and I don't get to, I don't get to go home and and train with Bruce that often anymore, but the guy I train with now loves that. He knows where Bruce is at and he knows what he's done and he knows where we go. And we just build off of that. He builds off those bricks that Bruce laid all those years ago. And, and I think, to answer your question as to, you know, like what was going on with how there was kind of an explosion of, of very good goalies in my age, a little bit older than me, even younger than me. Being, like you said, such a small hockey market. Um, right. You know, a bad goalie can kind of get hidden. And that's not to say bad. I, it's it's going to be a very tenuous thing to say. Uh, a, a lesser goalie can be hidden by a very good team. So when you play yep. those Chicago teams or you play those Detroit teams or the Canadian teams, like obviously, yes, some of those are very good goalies, but also some of those teams had some very my like mid-level goalies or not great goalies, but they had great teams. Yep. St. Louis, we were forced to adapt and get better and be better because we were like the only stable part of our teams. Um I know that's true for me. I know that's true for Joseph Wool up in who's now with the Marlies or the Maple Leafs right now. You know, we played for lesser teams because we had to take everybody. Didn't matter whether you were tall, you were skinny, you were small, you were, you know, a little chubbier. Yeah. You were there. You could skate. You could play to a decent level. You were on the team. Not like Michigan or Chicago where you, they were like, eh. You're fast, but you're small, and you're not quite as fast, but you're already six foot at 15. We're going to take you. Yeah. Like, we didn't have that luxury in St. Louis. So we were seeing tons of shots in every game we were playing, and, you know, we were getting so much more exposure by the fact that in, in the sense of just playing time and this, that, whatever, than maybe some of these other teams that had lesser goalies. And, and I also see that with myself when I got to juniors, I mean, I played for a team in the North American hockey league where I averaged, I think it was something like 38 shots a night over three years. Mm -hmm. So it just, the amount of development you get from just seeing shots after shot, after shot, after shot that you're just like, okay, at a certain time you're, when you're doing it, you're like, I'm done. But at the same time, you're like, wow, I'm getting better because you're seeing all these shots and you're seeing all these opportunities. That is the story of my high school career. Um, I, I've talked to my fellow goalie partners in freshman and sophomore year. We went in league play 138 and one. Um, we were 
as goalies, we were averaging 60 shots a game. So, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat, same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. I, I, I had this conversation not too long ago with uh, my fellow partner, Don Merkel, and every Saturday you'd walk into the rink, they'd have the updated stats, and every week, you know, we were at the very bottom for goals against. Like, that, that was just a fact. But we were usually in the top five for save percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. because in, if we went back, and I remember having the discussions, you know, where, yeah, we, we weren't the best team in the league. In fact, we were arguably worst. the worst team, arguably the worst team in the league if it wasn't for Notre Dame up on the north side who got kicked out of the league for being so bad uh, for yeah. a while. Um but, uh, you know, I, I looked at the, the teams that were winning the conference and, you know, doing well at state and their goalies. I was like, I'm better than them, you know, yeah. and, and I had te- in Chicago, hockey is based on association, not where you live. So when you yeah. go to high school, you pick your high school and then you play for your high school team. So a lot of my association buddies went to my rival high schools. Um mm. I didn't play with any of my teammates when I got to high school. So, you know, I'd be talking to them and I'm like, I'm better than your goalie. And they're like, no, you're not. Look at your record. I'm like, no, I'm better than him. Like we go to the same goalie camp. I am better than him. I know this for a fact. And they're like, ah, no, I don't think so. But, you know, it's true. You know, look at those goalies on on the weaker teams and you're probably going to find that better goalie because that goalie on the state championship team usually are they good? Yeah, they're good, but are they yeah. better than that kid playing for the last place team? Probably not. Yeah, um, and it's you know, and you get obviously there's those rare cases of guys that are just like the the Connor Hellebucks or the the Carey oh, yeah. Prices that are just unbelievable, and they play on good teams as well. And you know, yeah. I mean, but again, that there. also that also comes around in full circle. You know, like. You got Carey Price. He's gone his whole career playing for the Toronto, or not the Toronto, it was God, Montreal, Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> He's played his whole career for the Montreal Canadiens, and they've only really been good twice, maybe mm-hmm. three times. And then let's go John Gibson. John Gibson played his entire career for like winning teams, and now he's playing for Anaheim. So yeah. like, kind of comes full circle and you got to pay your dues. So it's like, I'm sitting here going, all right, I've paid mine. When is it going to come around? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Not to say, not to put myself on anywhere near their level, but just, you know, just a, I think in my career I've played for like three over my like junior and everything like that. I think I played for like three winning teams by the end of like the season. 
And I'm like, this sucks. Yeah. Well, I, I remember my freshman year of college, I, I played JV all four years, but I get my first start. And after the game, one of my teammates is like, so what'd you think about it? It's like, well, first of all, there's nine more minutes of hockey. Um, you know, so I had to get used to that from, you know, going from the 17 minute periods to the 20 minute periods. Yeah. And I said, so we got nine more minutes of hockey. I was averaging 60 shots a game in high school and I got 18 shots today. And he goes, Oh, I go, I was really effing bored today. Like, I'm glad we won, but I was bored out here. I was like, can, can you guys give me something to do mm-hmm. back here? Cause we were a good junior varsity team in, in the Mayak. It, yeah. it was funny. What do you think? I was bored guys. I was bored. <laughs> you know, now yeah. being on a winning team is a heck of a lot of fun, but in terms of, uh, stopping pucks, it is fun. E- even in the beer leagues, those nights when I'm getting mm-hmm. you know, 40 shots, it, you you ch- you get into a rhythm. Uh, whereas oh, yeah. when when you're playing those games or you're getting 18, 19 shots in a game, they're almost harder because you have to stay mentally in the game. Oh, and, yeah. And it's I mean, so, so hard. Speaking of getting into a rhythm, this past weekend, um, we played the Quad, Quad City Storm Friday, Saturday. And Friday, I was 29 for 30. And then Saturday, I was... 46 for 47 or 47 for 48 depending on it and and i was just especially on saturday i was just on i was in a roll like it was just you were in it you were in like i think i had 19 saves in the first period so like you were just shots and shots and shots and i was just i was just feeling it i was feeling it like you more and more like the more i felt the more i was into it the more i was tracking everything and i was like oh i'm feeling really good tonight and games like that yeah yeah, it's almost games, easier because yeah. you're just into it the whole time. You, you're not even thinking; you're just reacting. And you know, yep. Yogi Berra, a good, good St. Louis guy. I, I, oh. I love Yogi and his Yogiisms. You know, but he said, you know, ninety percent of the game is ment- yep. uh, mental. The other half is, you know, just reacting. And those games where you're only getting eighteen shots, it is that ninety percent of oh. all up in here. But in those games where you're just getting peppered, it just it's muscle memory and it, it's yep. why we practice and it's so exactly. fun. So, um, so, you know, you, you played some junior hockey and you wind up at Western Michigan. What was it about Western Michigan that you like? Cause good, great school. I know a couple of people that have gone there and, you know, yeah, I mean, done well, the, uh, the education was great. Um, you know, maybe you wouldn't look at it comparatively to like university of Michigan or whatever, but no education was still, very, very good, and uh, but it was more just the the overall effect of the campus and the feeling of the campus was a lot. It was very homey. It felt very comforting to kind of be around. It's not an overly big campus, and not that I you know did wouldn't have liked a big campus, but it was just I don't know. I felt very comfortable when I went on my visit, and but what really sold me was the uh, the loss in lunatics. So when I got there. Uh, I, I went on a, on a tour in the summer, so unfortunately, I didn't get to actually go to a game. Mm-hmm. I was a very late commitment, so I had finished my my four years of juniors with no college commitment, and I'm sitting there going, "Okay, now <laughs> we are in trouble." Yeah, and I I'd gone to on a couple visits to a couple schools at the at, during the summer, 
and I wasn't really over impressed with a couple of them. But then when I went to Western, I really liked how they, you know, showed me around, showed me everything, and then they showed me a video of what's the law. What are the Lost and Lunatics? And the Lost and Lunatics are the student section at our arena in Western called the Lawson Lawson Arena. Mm-hmm. And at Lawson, it is one entire side of the arena is the student section. So one entire side lengthwise lengthwise of the ice is the student section. Yeah. And they are voted in the top five, if not the top two, best college hockey sections in the country every year. Because mm-hmm. they are always there. They're always rowdy. And they make it a fun place to play if you're a home team. And it is a tough place to play if you're the road team. And and it was that that feeling of you just everybody pulling for you and that just that atmosphere was just so much fun. And even though we were terrible my freshman year, we won <laughs> nine games my freshman year, the lunatics were there every single game. Yep. And that was like wow. And then it's a cool it's it's this cool little barn in that it's a perfect size for Western Michigan. Oh, because yeah, you, you can pack it in, but it's also not so small where you feel like you're skating in you know a community rink. Either. Yeah, one of my uh, youth hockey buddies, he, they wound up moving to Michigan, and okay. we went and visited them one winter over mm-hmm. break, and he had a game there because that was their home arena apparently, and I was like, this, this is a cool place, and it kind of had yeah. me I in Western Michigan like. Maybe I could come to school here, but then I was like, it's a, it's I, a I'm not place. that good of a goalie. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a fun place. And like, yeah, you know, we, ha- we have a little bit of a reputation as, uh, you know, not necessarily all there about academics or sports. We, we have a nickname of Western Michigan. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if we got to be better at something, you know, let's just take pride in it. But yeah. no, we were we were very good. And, you know, after our freshman year, we, we were bad. My freshman year, we were bad. After that, we really picked it up. I think sophomore year, we made the national tournament. Um, junior year, we slumped again. And then senior year is where I, I really played a lot. And But, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a roller coaster in my career of, of riding that wave and the ebbs and the flows. Yeah. Um, but overall, like I, I loved my time at Western. I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything in the world. And I don't know, even looking at some of the other schools I was looking at, if I would have traded it to look back and be like, man, what if I'd gone to that school? Nah, I'm happy yeah. where I went. So you play four years. What did you major in? Uh, I majored in sports management uh, and I got a general business minor. Uh, I was about... I think one or two classes from getting a uh, finance double major. That's so why I could have done sports management in a finance major. But my dad uh, was like, just make your senior year as easy as possible, especially with you playing so much. He's like, you've already got your sports management degree locked down. Mm-hmm. So you've already got your major finished. He's like, take whatever you need to do for your general business minor, which was like, I think I needed one class my first semester and that would have finished my minor. And he's like, and then just, you know, focus on hockey and just allow yeah. it to be, you know, your hockey and this, that, whatever. And that's, that's why I credit my dad besides being my best friend, that's one of my great best advice. friends, such just so great that I can always just feed off of him for advice and question and be like, Hey, what do you think? What's, what's, yeah. what would you do? And, and it was actually great. It made my life so much easier, especially second semester where it was coming down the stretch, you know, we were playing well, but you know, we were. You know, we needed to really focus and everything like that. And I had 
five classes, but three of them were online, and the only two I had to go to was uh, volleyball on Monday, Wednesdays. Or no, uh, that was Tuesday, Thursdays. Volleyball, Tuesday, Thursdays, and beginning scuba, beginning scuba <laughs> diving, Monday, Wednesdays. Nice. Yeah, Other I, three I, classes were online. I remember. And it having... was like, and it was uh, a research and writing class, a freshman level class that I needed to finish. It was basically like I needed it to finish my degree to get my major. It was mm-hmm. the only class I needed. And Andy was very particular about nobody could take classes before noon. You had to take your classes after 12 o'clock. So 1230 class, sure. But 12, anything before 12 or 12 was not accepted. And these cl- this class was only offered at 10 or 11 a.m. all four years. And yeah. over those course of four years, I got to know the head of my department of the sportsman. And I was like, and his name is Dr. Lewis. And I go, Lewis. I've known you for three years here, going on four. I've been begging you to make this class at one of them. Just push your class from 11 to 12. Just help me out so I can take this class and graduate. I need it to graduate. And he goes, it's just writing a research paper. He goes, I'm going to make it online for you. He goes, I'll send you the prompt. You just type out. And it was literally like, type the introduction, email it back to him. He'd critique it. I'd fix it. Send it back <laughs> to him. Go, yeah, that's good. Here's the first paragraph. And then that was it. And then at the end, it was put it all together and send it to him. Yeah. That was it. And I was like, this is a joke. I've been writing research papers for yeah. three years. <laughs> and now I'm doing this for four. So it was that uh, health and wellness. So like fitness and nutrition and uh, a religion class of death, dying and beyond. Those were my, my classes, my senior year. And it was like, I was just like, God, this was the best piece of advice I got from my dad of just make it a simple simple year and don't try to overcomplicate things see when when i was in college my dad he would get frustrated with me because i was usually a b a b student but Mm. when i got to college i became a b solid b student with some c's here and there and he's like you need to apply yourself more you could do better And, and i looked at him i said dad i can you're right i could do better i said but I'm not planning on going to grad school and C's get degrees. So I plan on enjoying my college experience while still passing my classes. And he goes, damn, I can't argue that. He goes, don't fail any classes and we're good. (laughs) I said, all right. (laughs) Um, He was like, okay, I, I, I get it. Like you want to enjoy the experience while still, I was weirdly uh, almost the opposite. Not not that I was a bad student in high school. I was like a, 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 you know, mostly B student. I had like a three, low three GPA, low to mid GPA, three GPA. And then I get to college and Andy, for as much as he was all in on hockey, it it was a mandatory thing for freshmen that we had to go do study tables every, every week. We had to go Mm -hmm. and get 360 minutes of study tables. So we had to go and swipe in our like little student ID card and it would track how many minutes you, you were there. Excuse me. But we had to get all of these minutes in Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then be done by Wednesday. So we had four days to get 360 minutes. So we had four days to get six hours of study tables. Now, you could cheat that cheat by going on Sundays because you could be there for three hours because they mm-hmm. had study table windows for three hours. And I became, 
I think I graduated with like a 3.7 GPA. Like I became a solid AB student and my parents were like, where did this come from? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like Andy, Andy was like, we were, we had to log in our grades every week. Like we had to come in and be like, he'd be like, pull up your grades. And we'd be like, all right, I got an A in this class. I got a C in this class. He's like, what's going on? I was like, well, we just took a test and I have 15 assignments from when we were on that eight day road trip out to Denver that they haven't, they haven't graded yet. As you can see, there's a little asterisk there. So I was like, I should be, depending on what I get here, should be going up. Okay, let me know. And then it would be like emailed me the next day. What What's your grades at? If they put the grade in, I'd be like, <laughs> and then it'd be like, I'd be at like a, you know, a BA because like I'd gotten all the points. And he's like, all right, good. And it was, you, it was only mandatory after your, to your freshman year to have to do study tables. And if you were above a 3.0 GPA, you were done. You didn't have to go back to it for the rest of your time. But if they felt like you were always teetering in grades and teetering at that 3.0 or maybe if a little and then you drop, you had or, or you know, you were a little bit too untrustworthy of character, <laughs> you, you were in study tables until they deemed you not or until they deemed you trustworthy. Yeah. So I knew guys that were in there from freshman to senior year that were in study <laughs> tables. And that was the, I swear to God, the only way that they passed their classes. Um, yep. That and, you know, some liberal help from some very nice teammates that had good grades. Well, and I mean, that's, I think, one thing people forget about with college athletics is like, yeah, you guys are competing, but there's that school aspect of it still. And, you know, the NCAA requires some pretty low grades, but many of these coaches require, yeah, you know, more than that. I, I remember, you know, our oh, coach yeah. is like nothing below a C. And if you do get something below a C, you know, we need to have a conversation, figure out why. Like for me, one yeah. year I decided I wasn't a science major, so we, we still needed a science class. And mm-hmm. my school literally had a course called science for non-science majors. I should have taken that. I I wound up taking it later on because Good. there was physics. And it's like, I really liked physics in high school because I had an oh. awesome teacher. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. I can see where this is going already. Well, here's the thing. I got an F in the class, but in the um, labs, I got an A. Like, I understood. Mm-hmm. The ideas, I just couldn't do the math on the tests. Yeah. And so when when those grades came out and I sat down with my coach, he's like, you got an F. He goes, technically, the NCAA will let you play with one F. Um, mm-hmm. He goes, because my GPA was so high enough. He goes, but what happened here? And I explained it to him. He goes, well, I'm going to let this one go because you tried something a little harder than you had to. So he's like, yeah. I give you credit there. He goes, and clearly you understood some of it because your labs, he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know how you get an A in the lab and they, they, they should at least give you the D to pass. Yeah. You would think you'd get like a D yeah. or something like how that balance out. Yeah. I, um, what was it? My sophomore year. I, I thought I was really interested in psychology. I, not that I was going to take it. I just needed the, one of those yeah. areas. And I was like, Oh, that seems really interesting. I'd like to be, I, I, I sit down or in a giant lecture hall and the, the teacher is standing up there and she's like, if you're not ready to dedicate six to eight hours a week on homework for this class, then you should leave now. 
I stood up and I walked right out. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting, I'm sitting in like the third row because Andy, that's another thing. Andy had a very particular thing about sitting near the front. He yeah. always wanted his players to sit near the front, freshman, sophomore year, junior and senior, you could mingle back to the back and, but mostly you're still like, be attentive. If you're in the back and sometimes he would wander into your class and be like, he'd walk up behind you and be like, what are you doing back here? And be like, Oh, Jesus. And he'd be like, well, Andy, the class starts at 1230 and I got out of practice at 1215. So I didn't have time to get to the front row today. And he'd be like, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm sitting in like second row right in the middle and it's like a big old lecture hall. I am like one of four people standing up, grabbing my backpack and just like <laughs> doing the hall, doing the, like the little line scooch through people like, Nope, excuse me. I'm not taking this class. And immediately went to my um, advisor and I was like, drop psych, drop psych. Let's put me in something easier. Yeah. So, you know, you spend your four years at Western, clearly a good experience. And after that, you know, you had the opportunity to turn pro. Um, You know, how how did that opportunity come about? Not offer, but how did that opportunity come about for you? (laughs) So this is a little bit of a an interesting story. So it starts with we lost in the first round of playoffs in our NCA in our uh, NCHC our, our conference playoffs. We lost to Colorado College, and at the time they were the hottest team in the country, and we were kind of resting on our laurels. And that's ah, Colorado College; they suck. And you know they came out and they steamrolled us. Not really, not actually, but they just steamrolled us playing wise game one. Yeah, and outplayed us we lost like 2-1 or 3-2 game two we took that personally and we got pissed off and we won something like 6-1 and then game three everybody instead of like hey remember how we just stepped on them let's do that again now game three we sat back again and we lost the heartbreaker near the end we gave up like a full ice three on O that they like did tic-tac-toe triangle <laughs> and went bar down over me and i was like cool. This was great guys. So there goes my senior season. And, uh, my other three seniors, two of them had signed AHL contracts to go play and finish the year out in the A and, you know, um, and then one of them signed a coast contract to go finish the seasons. And I was talking to my then advisor, soon to be agent because I was getting out of college. And he's like, Hey, not many teams are looking for goalies. You know, it's, there's only like a month left in the season. Like it's getting to playoff time. Like unless something crazy happens, they're not going to look for goalies. So just, right. you know, enjoy being a student for the first time, really for four years. Don't have to be a student athlete. You can just be a student, you know, finish your great classes, everything like that. And just enjoy being a student. So enjoying being a student. I went on a 10 day bender with the rest of my team that was still a play, not playing. And on that 10th day, which ironically is, was my girlfriend's birthday still is my girlfriend, but was her birthday. And I woke up and I was like, God, I feel terrible. Like I am so hungover. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to go hit the sauna. I'm going to go hit the gym. I'm going to try and sweat some of this out. I just need to feel better about myself. And whatever, like I, I, we're gonna, we're that's it. We're done with the binge. We're we're gonna get solid. Yeah. And as I'm having this thought, my phone rings, and it's Andy Murray, and I'm like, oh god, I gotta really sober up now. So I was like, hey Andy, what's going on? And he's like, hey Trevor, I uh, just got off the phone with your agent. 
he was going through customs, but he wanted me to let you know, uh, we may have found you a place to play. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah. So uh, give him a call here in a few minutes. And I was like, okay. So I'm sitting there and I, we had a, my girlfriend and I had plans to go do things with like her, our friends and her brother and everything like that. And I'm like, Hey, remember how I said, nobody's going to pick up a goalie. And yeah, no, that's not happening. I'm probably going to go play. And she's like, when? And I was like, I don't know the details yet. Uh, so I call my agent and he goes, Hey, um, Toledo needs a goalie. Uh, Bernier went down with an injury and somebody in the on the Grand Rapids went down with an injury. So both of Toledo's goalies got called up. They have nobody. And I'm like, okay, when do they need me? And they go, he goes, maybe tonight. <laughs> I now have to make a decision personally. Yeah. Do I lie and say I'm good to go? I'm good. Like, do I lie and go, yeah, no, no, I'm perfect. I haven't touched the ice. I haven't looked at my equipment in 10 days. Haven't worked out or anything. Have my diet's been nothing but pizza and beer and wings and terrible food. Or do I come clean and go, I need to skate. I cannot come today. Kind of like I cannot. So I decide I need to come clean. I go, like I go, Lewis, I haven't touched the ice since our season ended a week and a half ago. I, I, I don't know if I can play tonight. He goes, okay, I'll call him back. Tell him you can't play tonight. Get a skate in today because you are going to play tomorrow. I was like, Okay. So I hang up with him and I put in our team group chat. I was like, Hey, I'm playing pro hockey tomorrow. I need a skate. Over half the guys that were still there showed up to the rink, ran me through a skate for about 45 minutes. And then I packed up my stuff and I drove to Toledo because they wanted to do the entrance physical that night. So then I could be there to have a morning skate the next day and then play that night. And all this time, my girlfriend is like, Jekyll and Hyde, and not to make her point her in a bad light, she's so happy for me at the same time. But right. she's like, "We had plans for my birthday," and I'm like, "I completely get it." And I, so right. any other day of the year, it's probably any other day of the year. This is the greatest thing in the world. Just yeah. it's her birthday, so it's, it's her not, day, and I get it. I completely understand. Um, so I get there, and they're like, and I do the physical and everything, and then and so. I have not looked at anything of who we're playing. I have no clue. I have no idea. I've never really thought of the coast. I'd never really looked at it. And I get there and the next morning I'm having a great morning skate. I'm feeling really good. And I'm like, this is weird because I haven't touched. Yeah. This is the second skate in almost two weeks and I'm feeling lights out. And one of the guys that's skating with me, he's not going to play that night. He goes, yeah, you feeling good. And I was like, yeah, I feel really good. He goes, yeah, well, it's going to be a big one tonight, maybe a little bit of a trial by fire. And I'm like, why? Like, what do you mean trial by fire? Like, I know the, the phrase, but like, why? And he goes, well, we're playing Cincinnati. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, they're just the best team in the league. They're like two points from capturing the Barabam Cup, which is the, uh, like, president's trophy for the best record in the ECHL. And I was like, oh, I got to play the league's best team in my first pro game. <laughs> got it. And I ended up playing really good. Uh, I think I was 35 for 36 and a 2-1 OT winner. Um, and then went on to play, including that game, four of the last five regular season games for Toledo and, and played really, really well, um, including my first pro shutout, uh, the last game against uh, Brampton in Brampton. Ontario. Um, yeah, it was unreal experience, like just getting to go. And the boys were, the guys on the team were 
super excited for me. I knew a couple of them because uh, one of them was an, a Western alumni, Shane Birchback. He's a legend for the Toledo Walleye. Um, but he he's a, a Western alum, and so I've known him. He's like, hey, Gorse, yeah, come on. Like, you know, like, kind of, he's like, I remember seeing you a couple of games this year, and I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, so we're, we got you. We know you're good. I was like, perfect. And um, they were unfortunately unable to uh, keep me on for the playoff roster that they went all the way to the uh, Kelly Cup finals and lost to Newfoundland. They were trying. The mm-hmm. head coach, Dan Watson, apparently the entire bus trip from Brampton, Ontario, back to Toledo after the game was calling the league, trying to figure out if he was able to sign me to some form of a contract just to keep me as like a black ace, not knowing how with whether Pat Nagel would maybe get called back up to Grand Rapids or Mm -hmm. anything. So just not knowing what they had. And he's like, Hey, we wanted to keep you, but we weren't able to. So I literally went from college hockey, for two weeks off pro hockey, and then back to being just a regular student. So you at least finish the school year out and get that degree to make mom and dad happy. Oh yeah. You know, that way I did the graduation walk. That way, if, if, if the team folds, you're not headed to the Ford plant. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I got a degree there, so I I got something. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been playing pro what four years now in, in, in the, yeah. the classic story of minor league hockey, you know, you've you've worn a few jerseys. Oh, oh yeah, I've I've actually got a collection of uh, a note on my phone of just absolutely wild and crazy stories I've I've encountered over my four years of playing that I, I intend to either I don't know I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I've I've started off I was writing it down because I enjoy writing, um, but yeah. Well, thank, thanks I've, for that. Class senior year, you know how to. Yeah, my senior year, (laughs) typing away. No, I, 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 yeah, I've, I've worn some jerseys. Let's see, what am I up to now? How many teams? Twelve, something like that. Of minor league hockey. Got the Walleye. Got the Reading Royals. We got Fayetteville. Back to Toledo, so we keep there three. Then I was supposed to play with Toledo during the COVID year, not to cut then. Went out to Jacksonville, but never touched the ice for a game. Then up to Utah, then down to Macon, then to Fort Wayne, then to Kalamazoo last year, starting Kalamazoo this year. Uh, ran into two AHL goalies that got sent down. So then I, I came here to Evansville. Evansville to Maine for a weekend, and then uh, Florida. So I'm at 11. 11 teams in four years. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> well, what that says is somebody wants you. Exactly. You know, you're, you're, you know. you're still able to uh, live the dream of pro hockey and, and have fun. Now, you mentioned your girlfriend. She's still your girlfriend. You know, how yep. has she been with all of this uh, bouncing around? She's, she's been great. Um you know, she, she's been nothing but extremely supportive of me. And like, like I said earlier, if it was literally any other day, the, the first pro call up, she would have been excited, like hundred percent excited. Um, she actually moved from Kalamazoo to Toledo in the expectation that I was going to play there during the COVID year. So she got an apartment, got a real good job, this, that, and whatever. And then when I, you know, during that COVID year, I ended up not playing there. And she knew that because then the walleye didn't, they didn't, they, stuck away they didn't play at all 
So she understood that I would be bouncing around. And then it was coming back. I thought I was going to be playing there. Year I ended up playing for the uh, K-Wings the whole year. Um, The walleye didn't send me a qualifying offer, so that made me a free agent. And she's like, so you're going back to the city where we just were, and I could have stayed there. And I was like, yes. Um, <laughs> but no, she's been she's been unbelievable. And um, I go and I stay with her in the summer. It's it's just easier because then I can I, I got a place I can train every day. I got a place I can drive about an hour up the road into Michigan and train with my goalie coach. So it's in a perfect location that I can be. And and then I'm you know. My parents love to travel and my parents come up and see me all the time, see me and her in the summer and we go golf and everything like that. But, um, no, she's, she's been great. And we've been together five going on six years now. And frankly, she's part of the journey with me because she's helped me pack up and go. And, um, I mean, she was here in, in Evansville when I got the call that I was going to Maine the next Mm -hmm. day. So she's like, all right, what do we need to pack? And I was like, well, they said I'm going for the weekend, so it's a small bag and we're going. And so she's she's she understands it. She understands the life and she she wants me to go as far as I can take it. And and that's all I can ask from her. That's half half the battle sometimes is just having that support system. Uh, because bouncing around is is not easy. Um mm-hmm. and at the same time, you know, the, the financial side of it, uh yeah, I, I think sometimes people think, "Oh, you're playing pro hockey, you're making millions of bucks," and th- no. that that's not the case. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not making millions of dollars. If I was making millions of dollars, I'd be a lot happier. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm I'm actually extremely. I love. I I mean, I love it I, as much as I joke about the money would be nicer. I still there's a, a there's an aspect of how much I love the game that I'm still playing for making not that much money and that's right. the thing that sometimes gets overlooked is like yeah i'm not making as much money as i could or somebody else or this that, whatever but at the same time my love and my passion for the game is why i'm still playing yeah you know that's why like there was a time like talking about the covid year when i played for four different teams um my dad and i joked that i was like a an, a gunslinger in the old west that like I was just kind of going from team to team and they were like, Hey, we need a guy for a couple of weeks. And I was like, I'm there. And I'd go out there. And and what's crazy is I actually drove to all those places except for Jacksonville. So I mm-hmm. flew to Jacksonville and my dad drove my car down to me so that I'd have in my car in Jacksonville. And then when I got released from Jacksonville, I drove all the way from Jacksonville back to Toledo from Toledo, drove all the way out to Utah, Utah, all the way to Macon make into Fort Wayne. Tendy Talk listeners, this time of year, everyone's talking about making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time, pretty unrealistic. I've actually found that the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make big deal purchase. Even the smallest things can be a part of a big change. If that's something you can use every day, like my Raycon earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. My kids love that they don't have to listen listen to my Irish punk music because of them. 
Whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low latency gaming headphones, something my son would be into, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon's got you covered. And yep, Raycon's start at half the price of other premium audio brands. So you don't even have to choose between products. You can get one of each or a pair and a spare, kind of like the British royalty, and still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. Even if you know you'll love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now, pay later options. Every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee as well. Options like three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, and crystal clear call quality are all part of their products. Ready to buy something small with a big impact? Go to buyraycon.com THPN today and get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com THPN. And I was, a lot like, of oh miles. My, I was like, oh, my poor car, the amount of miles I put on you. Thank God for GPS so that you weren't on the side of the road looking at the well, outlets with the black bear staring at you. I did. So going out to Utah, this is how crazy my dad is. And I think my dad would have made a very good hockey goalie as well. My dad was with me for almost all of the legs of that journey, except for Jacksonville up to Toledo. My dad, I picked my dad up. I called my dad when I got the call to go out to U-Call. I called my dad and go, hey, you feel like a trip out east or out west? And he's like, where are we going? I said, Utah. And he goes, when do we got to be there? And I was like, "What? I don't remember what day. And he's like, okay, so we got a couple days to play with. I was like, yep. So I'm thinking I'm going to drive through Chicago. You get a flight into Chicago. I'll pick you up and we just go. Well, little did we know that it was a blizzard hitting that side of the country while we're doing this. And that we are at, at one point. My dad's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. Now, this is where I'm glad I was raised in that interim generation of MapQuest maps and then to GPS. Yeah. So I know how to use technology, but I also know how to look at a map and know where I'm going. Same. I'm sitting there in the passenger seat. I have Colorado's live roadmap, live road, uh, whether it's open, closed, icy, whatever. I have that up on my iPad. I have the Atlas on my lap below it. And I'm sitting there on my Atlas on the Atlas going, okay, we're here. We could take 13 all the way up to 47, take 47 across, then go up to this and then get back onto the main highway. And then be like, okay, that charts out. Let me go to here. Let me go to the iPad. Okay, that math, that max, that route's closed. Okay, new plan. Scrap that. How can and I'm sitting there and my dad and I, we are just finagling back roads till we finally got to a place that we were open and we were back on the, on the GPS track. But I was just like, yeah, no one, no one warned us that there was a blizzard either. So we're just driving and we get there and we're like, Oh, okay. My dad still does not trust GPS on the phone. So Mm -hmm. he still has the Atlas in the car. Well, him and my mom, uh, three, 
three years ago. Yeah, it was three years ago. They um, went down to Disney World and dad used the Atlas to get down there, even though he knows where he's going. He forgot his Atlas at the hotel and he oh, was no. just upset. And I went, huh, this is good to know because this was in like October. So I ordered dad an Atlas for Christmas. And, or no, it was his birthday. So it was, it was after they were in uh, Disney over like January or something. So mm-hmm. for his birthday, I ordered him an Atlas and had it sent to the house. And I told my sister that. And she goes, you asshole. I go, what? And she goes, I was going to order him a new Atlas tomorrow. <laughs> She's like, that's exactly what I was like. Well, I got to it first. Well, I tell my wife what I got my dad for his birthday. And she's like, really? Like a $15 Atlas? Like, first of all, who still uses an Atlas? Is like, trust me, it is the perfect gift for this yep. boomer right now. Yep. And then, you know, mom and dad came and visited uh, two Christmases ago. And he was talking about, man, that that Atlas, that was really nice. And, every, and my wife's like, who would have thought? I was like, clearly me and my sister. We knew, we yep. know dad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know? And, and- I, it's to this. I still have an atlas in my truck. Like so, I got a after all of that driving and everything like that. I I ended up trading that car in and I got a truck. And first thing, the first thing that is put into my truck is an atlas from my dad. My dad yeah. lifts up the back seat where it's got the extra hatch space and like little storage space, and just drops in a brand new atlas. And I look at him and I'm like, and I just start shaking my head. And he goes, you know. He goes, you know, MFR, there's going to be a time and you're going to be, thank you, dad, for putting this in there. And I'm like, and every so often I periodically reach out to him and I go, I go, hey, still haven't used the Atlas. Yeah. And he goes, you will, you yep. will. He's like, it, it'll happen. And I'm like, it, it's not happening. Like, I haven't needed it yet. But no, he swears by it that I'm still going to need it, but. It's when in. my when my son was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, they had to learn how to read maps, not just road maps, but you know maps for hiking and everything else. And they're like, "What are we going to need to know this for? We're always going to have it on our phone." And they're like, "Oh, just wait. You you go up into the uh, Boundary Waters up in northern Minnesota. There's no reception. You need a map." And of course, the boys went up there hiking, um, winter camping and stuff. And they're like, "Yeah, we we couldn't get our phones to work up there." And we said. Aren't you glad you knew how to read a map then? Um, nope. So I'm looking at the time. We've been talking for quite a while, and I feel like we'd talk all night if, if we let ourselves, because that's just what goalies do. Yep. Um, I end every episode with a list of 10 questions. Okay. Same 10 yeah. questions I've asked every single guest. So from Bantam mm-hmm. goalies up to Stanley Cup champions events are the same ones. First question is, what's the craziest coaching moment from your playing days? Um, well, depending on the expletives that are allowed on this podcast, uh, that's, that, that would really, um, answer that one. So if it was, it's a, it's able to, or, yeah. you know, let's limit it. Oh yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite junior coaches I played for, uh, is a guy named Mo Manta and Mo Manta is one of the hardest old timer coaches I've ever played for. I mean, there's a video of him. I mean, he played with Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux. And Mario Lemieux, before uh, this isn't the story, just to give you an idea, he, yeah. he looked at Mario Lemieux in front of our entire team and said, This MFR still owes me money from golf. And we're like, You just called Mario Lemieux a, an MFR. 
who are you? Like, what did you? And then, like, there's a video of him calling on the entire Boston Bruins bench and not a single person answering the bell. So that's the kind of guy this guy is. Yeah. And so one year or one game, we are we're a pretty good team, and we're losing to one of the worst teams going into the third period, and we're down like two or three nothing. And I've already played like I'm playing my my ass off. I've I've stopped thirty something saves, and we're still down three nothing going into the third. He comes in the locker room, and I see him kind of wheeling around, and he starts and he gets to me, and he just kind of looks to the next, and then he just starts going, get puts up both middle fingers. And just starts going f u f u f u f u f u f u to every single guy in the locker room, and and then comes back around, and then looks and he goes, "Notice the only mother effer I didn't do that to," and points to me and he goes, "This is the only guy that's here tonight. He's the only one that's effing playing. The rest of you lot are just jokes, and you shouldn't even effing be here. So if you don't effing play for him, then I don't know what the hell I'm coaching for." We end up going and winning like seven three. In the third period, the craziest comeback, but he comes in and just double birds every single guy and just says F you, F you, F you, as he is like, he's almost like a, a, you know, the football drill where they're like shuffling and hitting the, he's literally doing that down the line to each individual guy, like right in their face. And I am just internally dying laughing at this moment because then, but the crazy part of it is just the fact that we came out and we exploded for like six or seven goals in the third period. So when, when you live like, out that lifelong dream of being a hockey coach, you oh, can yeah, use that as one of your motivating. That's tools. one of my. That's in there. That's in there. It's like, <laughs> hmm, what can I, what can I use to motivate here? Yeah, you know that that'll be great with the mini mites. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think I think I had a coach that was like that though. That's the problem is I legitimately had a coach when I was like a ten that called us a. I don't, know, I don't want to say it. A, a, um, a certain phallus sucker. <laughs> and I, I literally came out of the locker room and I went to my dad. I was like, what's, what is that? And he's like, oh, okay, we're going to have to have a conversation. Yeah. So, and th- <laughs> this guy was an idiot. So I don't even want to give him the time of the day to say his name. Yeah. So, so the next question is what's your favorite all time goalie mask? Oh God, that's tough. All time favorite goalie mask. Um, well, I got a couple different generations. So I got classic mask. He's got to be Jerry Cheevers. Yep. Um, I'm going to go eighties, nineties. It's got to be Potvin, the cat. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I did always love the simplicity of Broders though, too. That was a good one. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Lundquist. Lundquist would be the more modern goalies that I loved. I Which loved, one? I lo- he had a new one I know, every week. that's the thing, but like every every week it was just like, how did you make it better? Every time it was better, there was never a downgrade. Um, well, there, there was always, a, even though they were different, sometimes drastically different, there was still always like this overreaching theme for him of yeah. the king. The like king the of king. New York. Like, I, I just loved that and like the way he embraced that and it just I would say Lundquist's was probably my my favorite of the modern jersey, the modern helmets. Um, yeah, but yeah, of all time, God, that's tough. I I feel like I'd have to go maybe go Potvin, purely because I I had an all white helmet up until uh, about a week ago, and I almost bought a little decal kit that would have been Potvin, but mm-hmm. the colors were red and black, and I'm currently in 
navy and re navy red and white pads and i was like at least i want the helmet to match like the helmet would have matched my the uniforms because our colors here in evansville are red black and white yeah but i was like i don't want to look like up here and here match but then the rest of my stuff does and i was like i'd rather have the helmet and the gloves match and just the jersey be off yep and no i get that after after i ordered it my goalie partner who's the one that jokingly bullied bullied me into getting this he goes you know you could email him to change the colors right and i was like you told me this after I ordered, so I I could have gotten the Felix Potvin, but with navy instead of the blue, uh, the black, and I was like, "Damn, <laughs> that's what goalie partners are for to oh, make I you know. do things and regret it afterwards." Yeah. Um, so, with your pro journey, you've been to a few. What's your favorite rink that you've played at? Um. For the atmosphere, I would have to say Toledo, the Toledo Walleye, the Huntington Center. That is, for a pro rink, that is as close as I've ever, if not better, of an atmosphere than playing for the Lawson Lunatics in front of the law. It's a sold-out barn every night. Um, especially, it holds a special place in my heart, being the first place I played a pro game. And, I mean, that year they were like, yeah, this is our 25th sellout or whatever of the year. And I was like, What? <laughs> they're like, yep, they pretty much sell out every night. And there's places in other places in pro hockey that see maybe one sellout in a year. Yeah. And and they get it every single night. Um, so, yeah, I would probably have to say Toledo uh, would be my top place of playing so far. Because um, that's really all I've gotten to do. So what what's your favorite goalie stick that you've used? Right now, it's it's the one I'm I'm rocking with right now. Um, it's the Warrior M2I with the okay. the crazy the crazy shaft. Yeah, that's like contoured for the glove. Oh, that thing is so nice. It's so money, and and I'm good friends with um, Kirk uh, Kirk Allen, who's the Warrior rep, like goalie one of the goalie Warrior reps. And, you know, he's, he's, he had me in the demo stick, the prototype sticks a couple of years ago. And I was like, this is awesome. Like you guys need to make this. And he's like, yeah, we're working on, it. we're trying to work on the durability. And now that they're out, I'm like, oh, just please just keep sending them to me. I love these sticks because I can snap the puck around so easy. It's so light and comfortable in my hand and like just easy to direct pucks. So yeah, that has been my favorite stick I've ever used. Um, yeah, there's not even, a, I don't even know if I could say a close second. I'm going to have to check that one out when we're finally in the stores up here. Oh, when you just go look at it. Cause like there, yeah. it's a wild look to it. Like when you're like, that seems weird, but then put a glove on and give it a grip to like hold where you're like, when you're playing the puck and you're going like, to, mm -hmm. it's, it's actually unbelievable. Yeah, no, it, that, that could maybe help me. Cause I'm not very good at playing the puck. Although I've gone with a shorter paddle this year and, uh, that seems to have helped. Yeah, that, that that can help. What are you? Are you a twenty six or do you go to twenty five or? Uh, well, I was using a twenty seven inch paddle, and then I picked up a Colin Delia Pro Return, and I think it's a twenty four or twenty five. Okay, uh, it, yeah, but he, got he a, plays a little lower. He yeah. doesn't roll. Well, he doesn't really even put his stick on the ice until it's like on him. So yeah, yeah. it's got a trigger uh, grip. That's why I picked it up. I wanted to try oh, a trigger grip. Uh, Nope, not for me. Yeah, not I, for me. I've, I like it, but there there's mm -hmm. certain situations where 
it bugs me. So I tried a trigger grip one time in, in juniors and I I kind of got crashed into and my stick started to go to this way. Like I kind of got crashed and my stick got logged and I couldn't like my, my blocker part. It got stuck in the trigger okay. grip and actually like fractured my finger Ooh. because like it pulled. And I was like, Nope, I'm good. I'd rather yeah, no. if like, if I have to, I'll just let go of my stick. I don't want anything to be possibly get caught. Yeah. that That's a good reason not to like them. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so what's your favorite youth hockey memory? Youth hockey memory um, probably would be winning MVP at Silver Sticks when I was like 10 or 11 years old and we lost in the semifinals. But then like two weeks later, I get a, I get a thing in the mail from Silver Sticks and whatever. And I was like, what did I get from Silver Sticks? And I get a note that says you were the MVP of the tournament and this, that, whatever. I was like, I didn't even make the finals. How was I the MVP? <laughs> I was so confused, but I, was literally MVP of the Silver Stick tournament that year. And and what was funny to me was that was also a tournament that we, when you were talking earlier about being bored, we were completely outplaying this team. I think the puck maybe crossed the, the red line four times. And one of those four times was where their guy shot it down the ice. And I'm standing in my crease, hunched over, you know, like every goalie does to rest. Except I'm not looking at the play. I'm looking at my feet. <laughs> and at a certain point i see a puck coming and i go oh that's interesting and then i go oh no and i tried to fall back and the puck was already in the net so they <laughs> scored a full ice goal on me and it was like a shot from the other end where the guy was just trying to clear it but i was so just not in the game because we were out i mean it was something like the score ended up being like 10-1 or something like we were completely out playing this team and i was just like so bored but yeah, to end up being MVP of that was a really cool experience because that whole tournament was unbelievable. And then the only other thing I could put that would be uh, uh, the Pee Wee Quebec tournament that I got to be a part of. Okay, that was a fun one as well. Where I don't know if they still do it, but at the uh, the old Colisee Pepsi where the the um, Quebec Nordiques. Nordiques used to play, yeah, they they would have this tournament every year and just be a packed NHL stadium to watch peewees play hockey yeah. and it was just such a cool time so those would probably be my favorite memories what else are you gonna do in quebec that time of year exactly nothing there was like nine feet of snow so yeah there's nothing else to do yeah so what's the best chirp you've heard on the ice off the ice directed at you not directed at you oh god i don't know it's not even a great chirp but like it's just my favorite and it always makes me laugh is when somebody calls another person a grocery stick. Just <laughs> always one of my favorites. I it always it never fails to get a laugh out of me. I don't know why. It just always has. And for anybody that doesn't know what a grocery stick is or calling somebody a grocery stick, it's it's used as the the thing that separates your food from the person behind you's food. And um, that then translates to the you're the guy that sits on the bench that separates the forwards from the D and you never leave the bench because you're terrible. And I don't know why, but that just always has always made me laugh. It's been one of my favorites for my entire life. It's just somebody like, man, you're a grocery stick. What are you doing out here? You're like, does your coach even know you're out here? And like, those are just, those are the chirps that make me laugh. 
I think it was Kimberly Sass that I had on, and she was the first one to mention that. And I was like, that is actually really good. And I don't know how I haven't heard that one oh. myself. Oh, I've heard that one for years. Just yeah. calling them grocery stick or, you know, like the unwanted child, the redheaded stepchild I've heard. And I'm like, that was a new one on the ice. One of my uh, buddies in college, we played youth hockey together, played against each other in high school, and then in college, I, I wound up making the team, and he didn't. But he would look at me and go, hey, you got the fastest door in the Mayak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yep. was like, yep. yep. That, it, well, it, it was funnier because I was playing JV, too. So to mm-hmm. have the fastest doors, it's like, okay, I like that one. I embrace yeah. it. That's, that that's one that I like. It's similar, not the doors, but the the. Anytime I I will say one that I throw out is when anytime somebody hits me in the chest, yeah. Especially if they've got a clear look at the net, like there's not really any pressure on them. I sit there and I was like, fastest chest in the league, boys, and that just <laughs> always just sends people up the wall. Um, <laughs> just tell them I got the fastest chest, and it's like you hit me right in the logo, like yeah. Anywhere else. Yeah, I, I've had a few times where, you know, I get hit in the head with the puck and, you know, the ref comes over. Are you okay? It's like, yeah, there's nothing to damage anyway. Yeah, no, there's no, nothing no, up no need to, to worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's nothing up there to hurt. Why do you think I'm here? Yeah. So what is the worst post-game beer? It's got to be Miller Lite. I'm not going to argue that one. That's uh, got to be. Like, that's just terrible. It's just not a good beer to begin with. No, exactly. That's uh, what I mean. <laughs> like, uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll counter that. The worst post game beer is no beer. Um, yeah, that's that's the worst. Um, we we've had that a couple times on different teams where we've swept the weekend, and you know you're kind of like hoping, all right, beers in the locker room, beers with the boys, and then we come in and there's no beers, and we're like, what are we doing? We we swept the weekend. We did what we were supposed to, and like, let's get rewarded here. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that's uh, what, but no, if of an actual beer, Miller Lite all day. That's the worst thing in the beer leagues, and nobody communicates, and everybody shows up, and there's no beer. no beer. Oh, so, we we had a season where that was happening more often than it should have, and mm. I, I finally looked at the boys like, do we need to put together a snack calendar like youth soccer so that we know we always have beer? Like, what's going on, guys? And we we didn't have any this issues week's after Kevin, that. Yeah. This week's Tyler. Yeah, and like we we got a couple four new guys on our team this session, and uh, the coach made it very clear like it's expected that you bring beer for mm-hmm. a game. Like yep. you just you bring it because especially yeah. The, the hope is that two different one maybe two people bring beer every game. Yeah. Um, so when you tape your when you tape your sick, do you go heel to toe or toe to heel? Uh, I don't go all the way to the heel. I have kind of a, a funky tape job. I, I started it as a joke last year. Um, I put like a, a strip half. So if like this was the blade, I put like a yeah. strip all the way down from like the this is the toe, probably like about almost to the heel, and then I start taping here. So I like okay. to leave a little bit of exposed of uh, the tape on the bottom. And then I go all the way and I cover the toe. So I would start mid. So I guess if you were saying heel to toe, I go from heel to toe. But I kind of start like middle of the blade all the way up to the toe. Okay. I started as a joke to make fun of one of my teammates last year (laughs) because he did it. And we were like, 
That is the dumbest tape job we have ever seen. It's so stupid. Why, why are you putting a strip of tape and then you're leaving some of it exposed? And so I did it to make fun of him. And then I was actually like snapping the puck around in warmups. <laughs> and then I was like, all right. It was like, yeah, this feels pretty good. And then the next game, I, I, I still had it. And, uh, or no, the practice after that, I still had it on my stick because I don't tape my stick for practices. Yeah. And I was unreal. And I was like, let's keep it. So I kept it for that whole week of practices, going to the next game. And I did it for the game and I ended up sweeping the weekend with it. And I'm like, sticking, we're sticking with it. This is the tape job now. This is it. At what point was your teammate like, I thought you said this was stupid. I literally, he looked at me after the sweep and he goes, I thought that you said this was stupid. I just said, shut up. (laughs) I was like, shut up. Yeah. We don't talk about it. I'm a little bit stitious and it's working. Yep. Yeah, um, it worked. So what's your favorite number to wear and why? Oh, I've worn a couple different numbers now over my career. Um, my first ever real number was 30, and I loved it because I said I love Marty Broder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently wearing 33 here with Evansville, which I, I don't mind. I wore 33 for a bit, and, you know, Patrick Waugh. And like, I always look at numbers as like, okay, who's who's a goalie that I love and I respect at, yeah. that wears that number? Um, but for some reason, I, I landed on 35 was a number I really liked. And that was my number all through college. That was my number for most of my junior career. And I don't know why. I just really loved it. It was Richter and Richter and Rene were the two guys I could come up with. Mm-hmm. Two like staunch different types of game. Guys that approach like Rene, who seemed to approach it with a lot more fun and flair, whereas Richter was a lot more mental, cerebral focused technique. And I don't know. Like for some reason, 35, I just really liked the look of it. I like I just the way it fit with my nameplate and the name and everything just yeah. always looked real good. Um, it's just a good goalie number because I wore that number is. in high school too. And, you know, in Chicago, we always said, you know, looked to Tony Esposito, but like you said, Mike Richter. Same oh, thing. To, you know, yeah, Tony huge. Espo. I forgot about Espo. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just such a good – and it, just, it sounds funny, but it feels right on the back. It does. It just has that perfect kind of balance of the three and the five. But um, yeah. if you're going to say number I hate the most, I hate one. Same. Because hated, of that backfield. I've hated number one for my entire career. And I've had to wear it a few different times. And I'm just like, just constantly like shuddering. Because like, it just doesn't feel right. Like the jersey yeah. just doesn't. I almost want to say it like concaves. Like the jersey concaves around yeah. the one. And then it doesn't quite feel right on the back. Whereas like two numbers at least. Even if it's a 30 and a zero. Like 30 or 33, 35. Hell. When I played for Maine this year, I wore number 40. Yeah. I didn't like it, but I wore it. And I was like, yeah, I can deal with this. Uh, what was it? Um, Fort Wayne, I, they put me in 50. Then my jersey options were 50 or 60. But that's because Fort Wayne has, like, not kidding, not even exaggerating, like 18 numbers uh, retired. Yeah. And, like, five of them are goalie numbers. So you're like, 1, 30, 31, 33. And you're like, really? So, so you know why number one is a goalie number, though. Yeah, because that was um, it was like the the lineup, this the lineup card, wasn't it? Well, no, no, that's baseball. When teams baseball are traveling, 
when teams were traveling by train, yeah, they were assigned the sleeping berth based on what number you were. And the lower the number, the bigger the sleeping berth. So they always wanted the goalies to get a good night's sleep. That's so they right. gave yep, them yep. number one. And I that's do why remember that now. all the legends of the game are single yep. digits. Yep. Um, you know, from the early days. So it was because of the sleeping car. They wanted them to have the best night's rest. Yeah. Yeah. That does and, make sense. And I knew it was just, something like that. And I was like, no. And when I said what I what I said, it started like the lineup card. And I was like, no, that's baseball. That's yeah. why Babe Ruth is three, because he batted third. And Garrett yep. was four because he was batted fourth. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the last question, what advice do you have for young goalies? Young goalies? Be an athlete. Um, I, too many parents now, and, and this is not just young goalies. This is also young goalies' parents who might be listening. Let your kid be an athlete. Mm-hmm. Life is too short to just be one sport your entire life. A, you're not going to get any better. Like you could get better, but you're not going to get better in a well-rounded perspective. Um, B, you're limiting yourself in the fact of you're limiting yourself in experiences, but you're also limiting your growth. Um, mm-hmm. Like, if I chose to stick with baseball my for my career path, I know playing hockey would have made me a better made, would have made me a better baseball player. Just right. like I know baseball made me a better hockey player. Yeah. Um, you know, allow your kid to be an athlete, allow your kid to have fun and, and just have fun. You know, young goalies have fun. I, that's what, that's the biggest thing I preach when I, I do my goalie coaching in the summer is have fun. You know, I, 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 I was sitting there last summer trying to come up with fun name for my little goalie school and whatever I'm going to do that I do in the summer. And my girlfriend was like, I was like, Oh, I'm trying to think of something fun. She's like, well, you always talk about how much fun it is to windmill. And I was like, that is one of my favorite things to do as a goalie is the windmill. So I named it the Windmill Institute just to be fun. <laughs> and some kid asked me this summer, he's like, why did you name it that? I was like, what's more fun than a big glove save? And the kid sat there and he's like, nothing. And I go, exactly. And I was like, so that's what I want you and anybody and any young goalie, any young player and have fun. Because if you're sitting there and you're not having fun at it, you're not going to enjoy doing it. And, and, that's similar to the same piece of advice my dad gave me. You got to do what you love. Otherwise you're going to hate doing it. And if you hate doing it, there's no point in doing it. Um, So yeah, I I, I would say just try and have as much fun as you can with everything and every aspect of it. And then you go until that fun runs out. Yeah. that's, That's the best piece of advice I got. Now you talk about the windmill institute. Now, if I start my own goalie school, I'm going to have to call it the Pancake Factory because I like to stack the pads. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was my, do, I was doing my, a pickup oh, sorry. skate. Yeah, I was going to say I was doing a pickup skate last week, and of course the GoPro wouldn't stay on the glass, so I didn't get them on uh, camera. Oh. But I I pulled out two pad stacks with it. The second one was even better because. Not only did I have to sack pads, but I had to lift that top leg. Oh, yeah, you had to get the leg lift. So it wound up kicking the puck out of the way. And it, mm-hmm. like, you, you get the guys on both benches. Just oh, I, I completely sticks. understand. Like, they love it. Um, oh, yeah. So my sister jokingly said, well, I'm surprised you didn't call it the waffle board or something. I was like, why? And she goes, well, you know, when you're younger, you used to – punch people and i was like hey we've, <laughs> we've eased off those days emily but uh it's but it's funny you talk about that and this is a little bit of plug from buddy of mine so this shirt i'm wearing called state of minder he uh he started a hockey 
clothing company. And he asked mm-hmm. me to come up with a bunch of different ideas for goalie stuff. And I, I, I put windmill, stack the pads, waffle board. And he, we're coming up with all sorts of fun designs. And it was just funny you said the stack the pads one because I was like the pancake. I didn't even think of that. I've yeah. never even thought of that one for that that idea. So <laughs> you're giving me ideas here because I'm kind of the idea because I'm kind of his idea guy for the goalie side of it. And that's what this one is because he's got like the regular line that's just all player stuff. And then there's goalie stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just been it's a fun thing. But he uh, yeah, the pancakes. That's a good one. Yeah, there was a time where I threw out in that COVID year, I had more pad stacks than I had games played in that season. (laughs) I had like three pad stacks out in like a matter of like two games where they they were not even unwarranted. They were just completely desperation necessary, just needed to throw them out there kind of thing. I I liked when Mike McKenna, another St. Louis goalie, would pull out the old school skate save every now and then just just because he could. Yep. I, I I I was taught the, the old skate save. Same. I think I threw one out a couple of years ago and I actually like caught it a little bit off my foot and I was like, now I'm remembering why we don't do this anymore. I accidentally in one of my games did the skate save, but it was a shot along the ice and I did the just perfect turn it over. Mm-hmm. But I don't why they taught us this with our stick rather than keeping it down. It was like turn the stick over. And your blocker hand, so everything's all. Not only is your leg exposed, but now your whole arm and hand. Yep, are it was it was a full. You yeah. direct it if you couldn't direct it with your stick, you got it out of the way and you opened up and you made like a giant like kneeling yeah. starfish. And, and I, I like, was, I, I haven't made a skate save in years, and in one nope. of my games, I was just like, "What the hell did I just do? Yep. And why? You know." But yes, stacking the pads, I, I love doing that. Oh, um, such a fun, such a fun save. Yeah. Well, Trevor, we've been talking for a while. I appreciate your time. It's been fun getting to talk to you. I'm sure we'll keep in touch if you're ever uh, heading yeah. north into Black Bear Country again. Uh, let so, me know. We'll, we'll, we'll grab some beers, not Miller Lights. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, thank you again. Yeah, of course. This was fun. I was listening to this episode, I think Trevor and I were longtime friends, not two goalies talking for the first time. I'm excited to follow his career and keeping in touch with him. Be sure to follow Trevor on Instagram at Trevor Gorsi, that's G-O-R-S-I 35. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Wash Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my Beer League hockey video highlights, and of course, all podcast episodes. If you want some Wash Up Goalie or Tendy Talk Apparel, be sure to visit the, my Threadless shop by clicking the merchandise link on my website. If you like this podcast, go listen to the BLPA Big Show. It's the OG BLPA Podcast Network show where a couple of Beer League players talk Beer League hockey, draft experience shenanigans, and exploits from around the game. Be sure to check out the full lineup of hockey-related podcasts on the Hockey Podcast Network as well. There are too many lists here, but shows like the Two Guys, A League, and Some Guest Podcasts, the Puck and Roll Podcast, and the Grit and Bear Podcast can all be found. If you're looking for something good to read like I am on my upcoming flight to North Carolina, get yourself a subscription to Vintage Tendy Magazine. Published quarterly by Episode 28 guest, 
Brent Denour, the magazine takes a deep dive into a goalie, usually from the 80s or 90s. And in the first six issues alone, they've covered Potvin, Fuhr, Chevalier, Tebow, Reggett, Van Beesbrook, Episode 20 guest, Mask Painter Don Strauss. And the latest issue is with Darren Poopa. I need to thank the band Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on my episodes. You can download their music on iTunes or listen wherever you stream music from. I'm always working on lining up other goalies to talk to. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. And let's not forget, if you're a brand that wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. Be happy to talk. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. So, until next time... Keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. Yeah. It's rose right over.